0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 128, Murder of Carlisle Christie. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. This week I have a shorter story than normal, but I couldn't pass up sharing this little blip of Atlanta's historical crime. The murder of Carla Christie. I've talked about this before, but I may be the only person on the planet that isn't into the true crime documentaries and shows and podcasts, but I do have a soft spot when it's researching crimes of the past. And so sometimes they come up, sometimes they're not enough for an episode, but this one was just enough. And I think everybody would find it really fascinating. I came across mention of this when I was researching the first female detective, Hattie Barnett, and I immediately put it down my list but I only recently was able to kind of come back and learn the details. And these are sensational details. It was the local news story of the time, and the verdict was actually published in papers all around the Southeast. Carlisle Christie was 30 years old. He was white, and he lived at 80 East Kane Street, making his living as a soda dispenser. He came from a fairly prominent family. His grandfather was from Athens, Georgia, a former congressman, and his father was a court reporter for the Northern Judicial Circuit. Christie had been living in Atlanta for several years by the time the story hit the paper in 1919. Now, I did find an obituary from 1916 announcing the death of Mrs. C.H. Christie, who was 36 and left behind two small children. So later in the story, we find out that Carlisle had turned to alcohol after the death of his wife. And so I assume this is her. The ages are kind of off. I mean, she would have been a whole decade older than him. Not that that's impossible, um, but I think this does match up. Carlisle was murdered on a cold, sleet-filled night of January 2nd, 1919, in what is today the Westview neighborhood. Before we get into the story, let's talk a little bit about what's happening globally and locally in that time in history. The world was at the tail end of the Spanish flu epidemic troops are returning from world war one and there is a lot like now a push for things to get quote unquote back to normal there's still soldiers though stationed at fort gordon and that actually plays into our story a little bit later but you know everyone's i think trying to get out of their house which probably explains why there's people out on this really cold january night in atlanta William H. Albright is about 24 years old. He lives with his mother at 368 Peachtree Street, and he's employed as an automatic fire sprinkler engineer at the General Fire Extinguisher Company. When he was 15, his mother ran a boarding house that rented to Mr. and Mrs. Gay C. February. And so the Februaries and William became close friends, and so at this point had been friends for almost a decade. In 1919, the Februaries lived at 21 Mathewson Place, just near the corner of Lucille Avenue, a house which today still exists in Westview. Although the modern street number is different, but I did put a picture of the house on social media. In 1908, Gay got a job as a clerk and stenographer for the police station, and he moved on to work for the district attorney office. So his work, when he did work for the police department, was to take down thousands and thousands of pages of testimony from witnesses, um, first again in the police probe committee, and then later for the attorney. On the night of January 2nd, Carlisle Christie lay dead on Mathewson Place, just in front of the February home. A series of bullets from the gun of William Albright killed him, but Albright would later claim self-defense. Was it? We're about to find out. Mrs. February, and before you ask, no, I do not know her name because it's 1919 and patriarchy. But Mrs. February explained to us what happened. She was in downtown Atlanta on a shopping trip, about to hop on a streetcar to head home, and she sees a very drunk Mr. Christie. And Christie asks her to escort him home. He's in a sorry condition. And she knew him. She knew his mother and his sister very well. And so she agrees, walking with him to his house. But when they get to the front of his house, Christy changes his mind. He's worried that his mom's inside, she's going to notice he's been drinking, and he pretty much refuses to leave. So at this point, Mrs. February is just done with these shenanigans. You know, she's like, listen, I I walked you home, you have to go inside. And so she turns and walks alone to the Lucille Avenue streetcar to get a ride home. I've said it before, it is cold and there is icy rain falling, so the streetcar is packed with people avoiding the weather and mrs february immediately notices that chrissy had followed her on board but she also looks up and she sees that william albright and his brother are on the same streetcar seems like a weird coincidence not exactly so she knows that her husband had invited him to the house to play setback history sidebar setback was a 19th century card game more commonly known as pitch so she sees Albright, and she immediately waves him over and asks him to sit next to her on the streetcar, hoping to avoid more contact with Christy. And Albright leaves his brother at the front, sits, and his story is that Mrs. February tells him that Christy, you know, has been following him, he's armed, and he says Christy was threatening him from a few rows ahead. So when the car reaches the corner of Matthewson and Lucille, all three exit. Mr. February is waiting at the stop with the umbrella, and he and his wife enter the house. Outside, Christy yells out to Albright, I hear you want to kill me. And Albright says, you're foolish, go home. And then Carlisle Christie raises his hand inside his pocket, apparently into the shape and motion of a gun. If you have visions of an old-timey cartoon in your head, don't worry, because I do too. But Albright, having been told that Christie was armed, fearing for his life, sees this and fires four shots and then runs inside the February home. In this weird twist of events, an Atlanta police detective is also inside the February's home because he had been asked to play cards. And this all doesn't seem as weird as it sounds because remember, you know, Mr. Gay February had worked for the police department, so they're all friends. But the detective, although off-duty, comes out, finds Christie's body just a few yards from the house, and then finds out that he had no weapon on him. He's unarmed. So he places Albright under arrest. And at this point, we forget about Albright's brother. He, remember, he had been on the same streetcar, but he had gotten off at the wrong stop. So he is walking up to the house at this exact moment that his brother is being put in handcuffs. And Albright is swearing at self-defense. Mrs. February is out there. She's corroborating his story. And the drama begins. Just two days after the murder, the grand jury charges William Albright with the murder of Carlisle Christie, and the details of each person's lives begin to unfold. Christie had been an alcoholic since his wife died. Mr. and Mrs. February were married 15 years and had no children. He barely knew Christie, but he knew that his wife was friendly with his mom and his late wife. On January 5th, a mysterious phone call comes into the police station, and someone on the other line says that Christie was shot inside the home not outside now there had been an autopsy performed um and this rumor was really short-lived because the day after that hit the papers a witness came forth and said he saw the shooting and it was outside he knew this because he lived directly across the street from the februaries Um, it was edward smearing's house which today is 431 matthewson place the grand jury trial was set for january 8th and mrs february appears in a long fur trimmed coat and, quote-unquote, the most attractive hat. And her statement to the press is, I have nothing to hide. Albright was indicted on murder charges, and he adds Ruben Arnold to his defense team to join John and Ralph McClelland. So if Arnold sounds familiar, he was on the Leo Frank legal team, a case which had taken place five years prior. The prosecution is led by solicitor John Boykin and P.H. Kennedy, who was Christie's brother-in-law, living in Charleston, but actually came to Atlanta for this case. Two weeks after the murder, Albright, still in jail, the police and the legal teams are searching for people to interview, and one of these people is Atlanta's first female detective, Hattie Barnett. So if you're a Patreon contributor, you may already know who that is. Um, I did a mini-episode about her back in October, and researching Hattie, again, is what led me to the story, and her connection with Mrs. February is definitely weird. Initially, they know the two women are friends. And Hattie is a, you know, trusted member of, you know, she's not exactly on the city's police force, but she's considered part of that force. And so she, her testimony is, you know, well-regarded and she's invited to come to court and speak. And Hattie's like, I've known Mrs. February well. We've been friends for eight years. But then she reveals that Mrs. February had been training with her to become a detective and they had taken frequent trips together for work to different states. But weirdly, Hattie Barnett, does not actually want to come to court and testify, so the prosecutor is having a really hard time actually getting her to come in. The main trial was supposed to start in February, uh, the month of February, but was delayed because of illness. At the same time, Albright, who has been in city jail since the day of the murder, is living through a smallpox outbreak there, and so there's a quarantine in the jail. The trial finally began on March 12th, and the first of 100 witnesses were called. Hattie Barnett factors into the story once more, she tries to convince the judge that women should be barred, not just from this trial, but from all murder trials, as the facts were too gruesome for them to hear. The defense's case was jealousy, that both Christy and Albright had feelings for Mrs. February, and were dueling over her, literally and figuratively. And this is not a stretch, because guess what? Love letters between February and Christie were presented as evidence. Trips that she had taken, maybe with Barnett, maybe Barnett was a cover, and even evidence that Christie had visited her in these faraway cities. Mrs. February retained her own lawyer to represent her if she was called to the stand, but she never actually made it to the courtroom. The story in the press was that she had a nervous breakdown, she couldn't be there in person, but we'll never know. Christie's mother wrote an op-ed to the Atlanta Constitution asking the public, you know, to only judge her son based on the facts, not the lurid details about love letters and secret rendezvous. And Albright's brother writes something similar, you know, defending his brother and asserting that he was acting in self-defense, not in any way a jealous lover. The defense's case was built upon the fact that a dark, rainy night in Atlanta was not a place where Albright could have seen Christie's coat pocket, let alone ascertain that he had a pistol shape in it. They even had Georgia power crews come out to the street and testify about, like, how many lamps they were and where they were pointed and how light or dark it may have been. Now, the prosecution, of course, focused on the alleged dual life of Mrs. February. There was a soldier from Camp Gordon who took the stand and said he had seen Christy February and Christy's sister drunk in chop suey joints on marietta street uh and two nights before the murder the soldier went to christie went with christie to a room in the marion hotel that he and mrs february were sharing he even says he saw her in quote-unquote night attire and then left the room and the next morning he saw them in bed together he also met the couple at arlington hotel on Peachtree. and allegedly when mr february was out of town his wife held parties at the house where he often saw carlisle christie The afternoon before he was killed, he saw them both standing in front of the Grand Opera. Like I said earlier, Mrs. February was never called to the stand, and Albright was on the stand for all of 12 minutes. There was one moment of drama when Christie's blood-stained clothes were introduced into the courtroom as evidence, and a juror fainted. Now, the defense did try to get this case dismissed because of that, but they were unsuccessful. It would take the jury three hours to deliberate, and decide that William Albright would be a free man on March 15th, he walked out of the courtroom on the arm of his devoted mother. He had lost 20 pounds while in jail, and in an effort to recuperate, would a vacation at relatives' house in North Carolina before returning to his job in Atlanta. Carlisle Christie's body had been prepared by Greenberg and Bond Funeral Home, the same as his late wife, and he was laid to rest at Westview Cemetery. So there you have it, the story of the murder of Carlisle Christie three-month period in 1919 that had the city on the edge of their seats. There was gossip about secret rendezvous, jealous lovers, murders in a cold, rainy night, you know, the stories that newspapers were made of. And like I said, when the verdict was reached, it was printed in papers in Alabama, Florida, North Carolina, and Tennessee. Did the jury discover the truth? We'll never know, as these cast of characters have long passed. Today, our only physical remnants are the former February home, and the final resting place of Christy at Westview. Which, by the way, haven't tried to find yet, but I will report back if I do. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating or a review, and you can visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.